Well, we're going to be in Acts chapter 25 this morning. We'll be in Acts 25 and 26, but we're starting in 25 because that usually comes before 26. Um, so there you go. Hey, um, before we jump into this, I do want to just kind of emphasize, uh, reemphasize what you just heard from Kristen. Um, the Porch Fest today, it's going to be a brisk, chilly, 88 degrees. So, um, woo. So make sure you bring gloves, a scarf, all those things. Now, no, um, we encourage you to bring a bag chair and uh, invite some people to come with you. It's going to be a, a good day, and there's stuff for adults to do and kids to do and a good time. But here's the other thing I want to say about this afternoon. This is your home, and there's going to be visitors coming onto our campus today. And so I'm asking you to say hello to people you do not recognize um, Say, glad you're here. Ask them, you know, just just be a welcoming host to those who are going to be on our campus today because it's a wonderful opportunity. I always love, it's the, the, every year we've done this, I, I end up meeting a, some people that end up being a part of our church family. And so I've, I've enjoyed that. So I hope that you'll be great hosts this afternoon uh, at 4 o'clock. So, and then uh, two other things I want to mention uh, that are coming up. And they're, they're important. Uh, one is two weeks from today, November 12th, uh, we have a, we're going to have a guest speaker here. And it is the, the, the leader of the, the missionary of Hope Project International. That's who we are partnering with for our Central America mission trip we're doing in February. So uh, Than is his name and his wife. They will be here. And, and we're going to hear about Hope Project. We're going to be talking about uh, what we're doing as a church in February, and we're going to receive a special offering. So I'm, tell, I'm telling you about it now so that you will pray about how you might be able to help uh, provide for that trip for the 10 uh, persons from our church who are going to be uh, serving, building houses, not like houses like you and I live in, but like metal roofs with cinder blocks and those things. But we're hoping to build two of those um, abodes while we're there. Um, and so special offering on November 12th. So if you would pray about that and, and um, bring a gift if you're able. And then one more thing I want to mention. Three weeks from today, so November 19th, we're going to have uh, one service that day at 1030. So our nine o'clock friends will be in here with us. Um, I have a special message that I want to share with our whole church, with the whole congregation together um, about 2024 and uh, what that looks like and what we're praying for and what we see it uh, looking like. So I hope that you will uh, be a part of that day and you'll be praying for uh, your church as we look into the new year. So that's what's going on with that. Um, Acts chapter 25. All right, we're, we're slowly getting there, friends. Um, so we're going to cover 25 and, and uh, 26 today. And then Justin's going to conclude the series next week. Um, through uh, 27 and 28, and um, it's, been a, it's been a great series. I've learned a lot. I hope that you have as well. Where we left off last week is Paul was before Governor Felix, and there, there's this repetitive thing that's going on, and we've, I've mentioned it a few times, where there, there's an underlying issue, and that is the Jewish leaders do not like the message Paul is preaching, they don't like how he is drawing Jewish people. They don't really care what Gentiles do. They can love Jesus or not, but they don't like how he's speaking and saying that this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. And there's this constant 
underground movement by Jewish leaders to go before any and every, uh, any kind of government authority and, and um, speak to them and, and be like, we've got to get this Paul guy. And really what they want to do is they want to get Paul to Jerusalem because they have a plan to kill him. That's the whole plan that's going on. And so there's this repeated uh, cycle of Paul being called before different authority figures, having to plead his case. They want to hear what's going on. They're like, we don't see any reason why you're in prison or why you're in custody. And then the, then the Jewish leaders will go and talk to someone else. And this has gone on and on. Last week, we left Paul. He was with uh, Governor Felix, and um, he, shared, he shared the message. He shared the gospel of Felix. Felix never came around, um, but he kept him because he wanted to be Governor Felix in good stead with the Jewish leaders. So he keeps Paul in custody for two years. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 25, because now there's a new governor, <laughs> So it goes from uh, from Uncle. It goes from Governor Felix to Governor Festus. And the reason I said I don't know why, but every time I read the word Festus, I think of Uncle Fester from the Adams family. I don't. So and I just did it there too. So there you go. Um, so now he's got to go before Governor Fest. I was to say Fester. Could you just picture that? That's. So Paul's been in prison for two years. His enemies remain hostile to him. They're pursuing him. They want him to die. They don't want him to talk anymore. And he's before Governor Festus. And he's been called in. And it's like, why why are you here? Picking up in verse 8. Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. These are all the different authorities he's been called before. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court. Now, we don't always quite understand, or I don't anyway, the hierarchy of who's really in charge here when I read the scriptures. I don't know if you're like that too, because you'll read about a governor, and then maybe an emperor, and then a Caesar, and then a king, and you're like... Who's, who's in charge of what? Um, so if you want to nerd out for a second, let me just explain this. Um, they're in the Roman Empire. There's a Caesar, and uh, he is the Roman em- emperor. So he's the top of the chain. And then you have governors who are over areas. Kind of like you have, we have governors of states, right? And, and like a provincial area. And they're ruling... This particular governor, Governor Festus, is ruling uh, Judea, where they are, but he's ruling on behalf of the Roman Empire. And then there's going to be a king that comes in in just a minute, and he has his own realm, but he is subordinate to the Roman power and influence. So he basically would answer to the governor who would answer to the the Caesar. So that's kind of how that plays out. Um, And so when Festus says to Paul, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? He's like... I, he knows that they want to kill him, but he's also like, I'm before someone higher than Jerusalem. I'm, I'm here, so let's go ahead and do this now. I'm standing, verse 10, I am standing now before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, 
I do not refuse to die. Paul knew his calling. Paul knew his purpose, and it was to profess the name of Jesus Christ. And if that meant to, the, to his, his death, then so be it. Um, he says here, uh, if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. So you see now the, the hierarchy of how that plays out. Paul said something that every Roman citizen had the right to do, which was to appeal to Caesar, appeal to the highest authority, the Supreme Court, if you will. Now, what's interesting about this is, yes, Paul knew that to go to Jerusalem and face the Jewish leaders there and to just be in Jerusalem and, you know, you go back to chapter 23 where there's like uh, a group of people who have committed to like fast until they kill Paul. I mean, he knows that there's trouble if he goes to Jerusalem. But when, by saying I appeal to Caesar, he's not going, this will be easier for me. He knew the, the Caesar he appealed to was Caesar Nero. And if you know anything about his history, Nero was a vicious tyrant, um, just just notoriously so. He, just to give you a little bit of who's, this is who Paul appeals to. Uh, Nero murdered thousands and thousands of people, including his family members, many of his family members. He did things like he poisoned them, beheaded people, stabbed, burned, boiled, crucified. Um, he starved out thousands of Christians he burned them, fed them to lions, had dogs come and tear at their bodies. Um, he used them as torches to light the roadways at night. So this is who Paul is appealing to, and he knows who Nero is. Now, eventually, spoiler alert, Nero will be the one who is in charge when, when Paul is, his life is taken. He's beheaded. And Nero actually is the one who takes Peter's life, who's crucified upside down. But Paul is not afraid to go before Nero. And here's why. Because he knew that he was innocent before the Lord. He knew his calling. He knew that whomever he stood before, he was innocent before God. He wanted to proclaim the truth of Jesus. That's all he wanted to do. And he would take the opportunities as they came. So we've got Festus now talking to him, and he's like, I appeal to Caesar. Okay, then you'll go to Caesar. Now, this isn't like today where you just jump in the car and go. This takes days. It takes time for this to happen. So Paul's still in custody, and then King Agrippa comes into town. And King Agrippa is meeting with Festus, and they're doing their, you know, shaking hands and, you know, you know puffing each other up, you know, like, okay, we're, you're, you're awesome. Okay, I think you're awesome too. And, and they're there, and here's what we find, verse 23 of Acts 25. Um, it says, The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Now, this word pomp, we hear that and we're like, pomp and circumstance, graduation, got it. Um, it. You know, you hear the word pompous 
it, it means, it's actually in the Greek, the word is fantasia. It means make-believe. It means uh, kind of like fantasy dress-up. It was a, a word used to describe children playing dress-up. So pomp is like, you know, you, you probably look a lot, lot better than, than you really are. Or you, you're dressing way above or you're trying to be someone that you're not. And that's this pomp that you can think about, envision this, okay? So Paul, it says, Paul was brought in. I, need, I want you to get a visual with me. With this scene, right? Imagining this pompous king, his court, uh, probably robes, jewels, a crown, ceremonial guards. There's prominent people of the city. And then all of that, and then a prisoner brought in. And there they are face to face. Now, we don't have it from scripture, but there is one historical document that describes uh, what Paul looked like. Uh, we know that he had bad eyesight, but we don't from Scripture know what Paul looked like. But I want to share with you this, this record. Uh, it said that Paul was a man of very short stature, bent, uh, bent over, so he probably had a bad back or a you know scoliosis or something like that. It said he had bent legs, uh, balding, a hooked nose, and the word that we would probably uh, translate as large eyebrows was is a unibrow, okay? And so picture this. You've got the pomp of King Agrippa and Festus and all these people, right? And they're like, bring the prisoner in. And so you've got little bow-legged, bald, bad back, unibrow, crook nose, squinting because he's got bad eyesight, Paul. If that's what you're picturing, you, you're picturing Paul, Okay, and this is the scene. And so you, we move now into chapter 26 because Agrippa, Paul's now before Agrippa, and it says, uh, he says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul motioned with his hand and he began his defense. We've read that a lot, haven't we? As we've been walking through this, that Paul keeps defending himself. But he says this, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. Now, I'm going to pause there because Paul's ready. If you, if you read this, Paul is prepared. He is prepared to speak. He is prepared at any moment. You, you don't know when they're going to come and get you and bring you before someone. He is prepared to speak. He doesn't, you know, he's not like maybe what some of us would be. They came around the corner like, hey, you need to come and speak to King Agrippa, a king. You need to be like, well, me now? Like, I don't, he's prepared. He's ready. And not only is he prepared, but he's like, I'm glad to be here. I am glad. I am fortunate to stand before you because we know what Paul's calling is, right? We know what he's about. He is about pointing people to Jesus. This is all he wants to do. So, He's ready. It was his hope in Jesus. And this is a lesson that I want us to, I hope that you will uh, remember today. If you're a note taker, I would encourage you to write it down. If you're a screenshotter, that might be good for you too. Because here's the secret sauce of Paul's ministry. Um, this is the power. This is the impact of it. It was about his hope in Jesus Christ. It was about his hope in Jesus Christ because of Jesus, Paul was unafraid. Because of Jesus, he was unintimidated by whomever, however pompous they could be. And what we find is this. Repeatedly, 
repeatedly through the book of Acts. And you'll even read hints of it in some of his epistles, the letters that he writes. But over a course of about a 30-year ministry, from, from the moment he met Jesus on the road to Damascus until the day he gave his life for the name of Jesus, this is what we see in Paul. He takes every single trial he faces, every one, and he uses it for a testimony. He takes, he turns every single trial and he says, no, here's an opportunity to give my testimony. Every time. And not only that, but he, he turns all of this opposition, people who hate him, who want him dead, who just uh, maybe they make fun of him and they scorn him. But he turns every opposition into an opportunity to point to Jesus. This is what we see him doing over and over and over again. Every trial testimony, every opposition into an opportunity. This is what he does. He says to kings and governors, I'm fortunate to defend my faith before you. I'm ready. And so I would just say to all of us, like, don't miss this. Don't miss this fact of who Paul was. Take this as a teaching moment for us. When we face trials, when we face opposition, we have an opportunity. And it's to point to Jesus. I don't, I'm fairly certain that none of us in here will face the trials or the opposition that the Apostle Paul faced. But we, we'll still face some. The, the things will come, things will happen, and there will be opportunities for us to speak to Jesus, speak about Jesus, or we can just defend ourselves, or, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I feel like people are coming against me, I can get real defensive, and I can get, I can get ugly, and I can get, like, you know, that's just how it is. But there's opportunities to point to Jesus. And Paul does this over and over and over again. So hear this. Always be ready to give a defense. Always. Scripture tells us that. Always be ready to give an answer. Paul was. Always be ready to give a witness. Don't be caught off guard. Be ready to say, oh, here's why I believe and this is why I believe it. Because just like Paul, we're going to read this in a second. Your testimony of how you, how you came to know Jesus, why you follow Jesus, your salvation experience, that is a powerful, powerful story that points people to him. So Paul's ready, right? And he's pleading, he's telling Agrippa and the audience that he's, he's, um, he's glad, he's fortunate to be before them. And then he says these words, and I very much want to highlight this before I read what he's about to say. He says to King Agrippa there in the last part of verse 3, he says, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, I called Justin earlier in the week and I was like, hey, I'm looking at the text and you know what? We're reading and Paul is telling his story again. This is, I don't know why I was like that. I mean, I wasn't that horrible about it, but I was like, he's reading it, he's telling it again and it's a good section and like, do, I, do we go over this? And he's like, Shannon, it's God's word. <laughs> go over it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That is true. That is true. Because, and here's the thing. I've always said this. Like, if it's in the Bible at one time, is it good enough, people? Amen? If, the, if something's written in the Bible at least once, is it good? Amen. Thank you for the glory, Will. If it's in here a couple of times, is it important? Yes. So I'm going to read to you Paul's story, which most of us in here know, 
and we've heard it, and we've heard it quite a few times in this series, but I'm going to say the words to you that Paul said to King Agrippa. I beg you to listen patiently. Because when we look at God's word, what he often does is he shows us something we did not see before. So let's allow God's word to do that, okay? Let's let his word speak. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring revelation and understanding. Here is Paul standing before King Agrippa. Verse 9 of Acts 26. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that it is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's saying he approved of their being killed. Um, verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. It's like he would go to synagogues and debate with them and try to get Christians to misspeak or say something that, that they could all go, oh, blasphemy. Now we've got something on you. This is what he tried to do. And I tried to force him to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Now, so this is Paul's going, this is, I used to do this. The people that have been, you know, in the back rooms whispering in your ear, King Agrippa and Governor Festus, like the people that have been, you know, saying we, we need to get this Paul guy, I used to be just like them. Paul says in verse 12, on one of these journeys, right, one of these juries, journeys to hunt people down, Christians down, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you, listen to this, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will, think about where Paul's been, y'all. Listen to Jesus speaking to him. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Isn't that funny how first you're told that you're going to be rescued from some people that you're being sent to? You know opposition's coming. But you're told first that you're sent. So you, you hang on that, right? I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul goes on. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. <laughs> First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent 
and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike, all right? Bent over, bow-legged prisoners and pompous leaders, small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Here's what we don't quite get sometimes. There were people, a lot of people, who heard the first part of Paul's testimony, and they were like, that is so awesome. Man, I hope I can be like that one day. There were people who were like, how dare you say that Jesus is the Messiah? We don't believe that. And so when they heard the, they could hear the first part of Paul's testimony, like, yeah, Paul, you're awesome. I want to be like Paul. We don't understand that. We hear this story and we're like, man, the first part of the story is really bad. And he was a bad guy. He was dangerous. And I'm so glad that God saved him through Jesus because look at what happened. But there were people that Paul was repeatedly standing before who were like, no, the first part of your story is great. It's the second part since that day in Damascus that you've been a little off, Paul. And we need to understand this because he is sharing this, this pivotal moment, not just in his life, friends, but in Christianity. This moment that Paul is talking about, is a, it's a pivot moment for the, the cause of Christ, for the movement of Christ into the world. Because God had huge plans for Paul that he did carry out through Paul. And it drove many people to hate him. Because he used to be one of them, and now he's not. Now he believes Jesus is the Messiah. So take note of this. And I, I, for a reason, you might hear this and go, you know, I, I, I wasn't like, you know, persecuting Christians or like uh, approving of, of the death of them. But I have a story. I have a Damascus story. I have a, you know, before Jesus, you know, the, the BC era and then the, the after Jesus. You have that line. Some of us have that. Um, but there, I know this, you, you know people. You've got people in your lives, and you might be thinking, there's no way. Listen, Christians, even, even after the Damascus experience that Paul had for a little while, he had to kind of prove himself. He had to spend some time with the Christians with, to, to know that, that this was legitimate. Because he was so notorious for hating Christianity and Christians. So when you hear that, it's like there are people who would look at Paul, Christians that looked at Paul, and they were like, there is no way. You're talking about Saul of Tarsus? Is this who we're talking about? There is no way that that guy's ever going to follow Jesus. Absolutely not. The reason I say take note of that is, are there people, or should I say there are people in your life who you probably are going, there is no way that they are ever going to say yes to Jesus. It's not going to happen. But here we have an example of someone who 
did everything against the Lord. And yet the Lord called them and used them. We need to see this. Take, take a note of this. Draw some hope from this. If you feel like there's some people that you feel hopeless about. If you feel hopeless. If you're like, I have a backstory and I don't know. I don't know if this can be redeemed at all. It can. I promise you it can. Jesus. Jesus. The Christian mentality was if, if Saul comes around, lock the doors because he's only here to harm us. But what does he do? He, he says yes to Jesus. He comes to Christ. He was the impossible case, but now he's not. And what you see over and over again through the scriptures is God takes impossible cases. and He's like, oh, we're going to do something with this. And he does over and over again. So here's Paul. He's talking to King Agrippa. He's telling him about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And Governor Festus is there. Remember, he's before this, this, this pompous group, right? Paul is. And Festus is there, Uncle Fester, Governor Uncle Fester's there, and he's listening, and he, here comes the opposition, right? Paul's been on trials, here comes the opposition I mentioned. Verse 24, at this point, so as Paul concludes um, that the Messiah would suffer, he would rise from the dead and bring the message of light, not just to his own people, but to Gentiles as well, Festus says, you are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted, you're out of your mind, and then, I don't know if Governor Festus did air quotes, but if he were to have, it would have been like this. Your great learning is driving you insane. Okay? So he's telling Paul, you are insane. And then verse 25, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. Maybe he did air quotes too, we're not sure. But what I'm saying is true. He probably did him in his mind. Uh, what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. He was kind of like, Festus, you spoke up, but I'm speaking to a higher authority here who told me I could speak. So I'm speaking to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. None of this that has gone on, was in, everybody knew that there was, there was someone named Jesus who uh, people were saying was the Messiah. They knew that, there was a, a, that they were saying he was resurrected from the dead. They knew there were Christians. They knew there were people who used to uh, be uh, you know, Old Testament Jewish people who are now Messianic Jewish people. They knew there were Gentiles who were coming and following Jesus. They knew that whole families and cities and villages were being transformed because of the message of Jesus. None of this was lost. Everyone knew about it. Whether they believed it or not, it was known. And so Paul's like, Agrippa knows this stuff. It's, this didn't happen in a corner. And King, he says to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Hmm. So what we find here is Paul is called insane by Festus. He's mocked by Agrippa. And when, when, when the king says, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me? This is how Paul re responds in verse 29. He says, short time or long? Short time or long? I pray to God that not only you, 
but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Because remember, Paul was a prisoner. Now, remember that image I had you get of, of who he's standing before and what he looks like, right? The visual, King Agrippa, regal attire, city's elite, and then there's bow-legged, bald, unibrowed Paul, right, in chains. And he says, I pray that everyone here will become what I am. And he didn't mean, like, be like me, Paul. He meant to be like Jesus. Paul was dying to himself on a regular basis. He was forced into it in many ways. And he's like, be like me. Be one who has surrendered to Jesus. Be one who used to live one way, but is now choosing another. Be one who used to push against God, but is now the, the, a cheerleader for God, who is pointing people to Jesus. Be like me. Be a Christ follower. Because Paul's entire identity I mean, his entire identity changed when he said yes to Jesus. Everything about him changed. So when he says, be like me, he's like, no, be like the one I follow. Be like him. Now, we don't know from the scripture, from the, this account, we don't know if they were insulted by this response or they were angry or amused. We don't know. But we do know this, verse 30. The king rose... And with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, after they left the room, this is called the meeting after the meeting. It happens all the time, y'all. They began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Like we, no one ever found a reason to say, yes, Paul, you're guilty. There was a calling in his life. He knew what it was, and it was to point people to Jesus. His appeal to Caesar was not so that he could be set free. It was so he would have an audience. To Caesar, Paul would go. Now, you're going to hear more about that next week as we conclude um, this, this book and this series. But I, I want to come back to this as, as we pray and spend a little time in worship. The trials and the opposition that Paul faced were exactly what God intended them to be, which were opportunities for him to testify to Jesus Christ. Everyone, every trial, every opposition, you see it repeatedly over and over and over again in Scripture where Paul used those trials to testify to the goodness of God and the opposition he used. Oh, here's my opportunity. Oh, they're coming against me. Here's the opportunity over and over again. And like I said, I don't, I don't think any of us will ever face the opposition or the trials that Paul faced, but we will face some. We will. You could be facing some right now. And, and you might be like, I'm not even going to mention anybody because it seems so like minuscule, but it's real. And I, I just would, I would ask you to reflect on this. I'd ask all of us to reflect on this because, I don't know, good news, bad news. If you're not dealing with a trial or opposition right now, you will. <laughs> I mean, it's just the life we live. So hear this, reflect on this. 
How can you look at the life of Paul and go, Lord, I have missed opportunities when I faced opposition. I've missed opportunities to point people to you. I, I, I responded wrong. I did nothing. I lashed out, whatever. God, I've missed opportunities. I've missed the, the trials I've gone through. I could have testified to your goodness, and I didn't. So reflect on that. And what is, the, what is your mindset? What is your, what is your heart telling you about how you respond to trials, how you respond to opposition? How can we turn those into opportunities? How do we use those to tell our testimony? Because like Paul, we're all called. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're called to point people to Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would, you would strengthen us like you did Paul, that you would uh, embolden us like you certainly did Paul. God, that we would take every trial we'd take and, and say, I'm testifying to the goodness of God, that we would take every opposition and say, no, this is an opportunity to point people to you, Lord. Would you give us that holy confidence to be able to do that? God, would you open our eyes to see the harvest of people around us, one who we may have written off and said there's no way, and the fact is there is a way. You are the way. Thank you. <laughs> God, I pray that when we are around those who are looking for you, seeking after you, desiring to know you, that, that from our mouths would be the testimony of your goodness that we would be prepared to tell people what it is we believe and why we believe. God, I pray for this afternoon. I pray for um, when we're on our campus today, later, that it would be opportunity for us to meet some people we haven't met before, to talk to those that, that are here that are just... They're here for a, a fun event, but we have this opportunity to share and show the love of your son, Jesus Christ. It's certainly not a trial, and it's certainly not opposition. In good and bad, we should lift up your name. In the valleys or the mountaintops, we should lift up your name. When we're when we're frail and weak or when we are strong and feeling good, we should lift up your name. When people are accusing us or, or praising us, oh, we should lift up your name. There is no other name. And it's the name that, that Paul gave his life for. So many Christians who have gone before us throughout history who have given their lives because of their 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 belief. In Jesus, Lord, I pray we would be more faithful to the name of Jesus today. And we would be unashamed and we would worship you and praise you and speak of you and point to you and talk about you. Lord, this time we have remaining. May it be a time of a, an offering of our heart, an offering of our focus. 
to lift up and glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.